listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Sergeant Kowalski, the killer. Sergeant Provo, the humble. You'll know them all in the Green Berets. LZ is a meadow just over that rise. Well, let's move out. Move out. Hello out there. Peabody and Sherman here. Set the Wayback Machine. 
We enter the way back, and we're immediately turtled back through time and space. Hi, I'm Corky Coker, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey, welcome. You're tuning into Nostalgic Radio Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google Tantalk, 1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studio. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past 406 or 7 shows, be sure and check out our archive page located on our website. Anyway... Yes, we have an exciting show for you tonight. We have a very interesting guest tonight. He's a repeat guest. He's an alumni. He's been on the show. So we're going to have a very, very interesting conversation about cars. Now, I want to say uh, happy Memorial Day to all our uh, veterans out there. That was Monday. And shame on me. I forgot to mention it last week. So having said that, we decided to play a little clip from one of the, the old movies that I actually remember as a kid. I think it was called... Uh, Green Beret with John Wayne and uh, David Jansen. I don't know if you remember David Jansen or not, but he was pretty cool. He was in the TV show The Fugitive. That was kind of cool. Anyway, we're getting into the summertime. Not a lot of stuff going on. I think there was a race over the weekend, and I think they called it uh, Indy 500, and that was on Sunday. Of course, I was at a family function, so I didn't get a chance to go, but not necessarily a big open-wheel fan. I didn't really miss it too much. I'm not even sure what the outcome was because I'm more of a GT racer slash kind of drag racer kind of guy. Now, speaking of racing... Uh, what's coming up here in the next uh, couple of weeks? Well, we have the 24-hour Le Mans coming up, and that is probably the race of race. That's the one that all GT racers aspire to, and that takes place at Le Mans. It's been going on since, well, probably since the beginning of racing. It was basically an endurance race, 24 hours. In the old days, you drove your car there, and uh, you wrenched on it. If you broke down alongside of the road, you wrenched on it some more. You know, Of course, rules and regulations have changed since then. The cars have obviously gotten more sophisticated. Now, that brings up another debate. Are the drivers drivers? That's back when men were men and drivers were drivers. Today, you know, they have too much technology running these cars. In fact, there's too much technology on all kinds of things. And I'm going to digress for a second here, and I'm going to refer specifically to my cell phone, which I've had nothing but issues with. People who use car phones annoy other drivers. Something like that. (laughs) Hang on a second. My phone's in my ear. Anyway, so I don't know how many of you guys... um, have uh, insurance on your phones and it goes through some company called Assurian or something like that. Now that company, in my opinion, is, well, let's just call it a ripoff. They don't send you a new phone. What they do is they send you a rebuilt piece of crap and chances are the hunk of junk is just as bad as the one you had before. So if you guys are paying insurance on that stuff, you better read the fine print and find out because I just got a POS and I'm not happy about it. Okay, back to racing. All right, so 24-hour race is coming on again when men were men and everything was mechanical. It's kind of like, you know, I look at this phone. I can't fix this thing because I can't use tools on it. It's, uh, it's all, I don't know, software and, and whatever else is in there. Who knows what that stuff is? It makes no sense to me. And, um, but anyway, okay, what else is going on? Well, let's go to the Florida Car Shows Minute. Florida Car Shows Minute. In fact, if you want to find out where all the car shows are that are going on and are taking place in the state of Florida, be sure and check out flacarshows.com. That's where you can find out about all the stuff that's going on. Now, this weekend, obviously, is a Sumter County swap meet. It's the last one for the first part of the season. Of course, in the summertime, July, August. Uh, yeah, it's a little warm out here. People are in the boats, kayaking, canoeing, fishing, things of that nature. And, of course, in August, it gets really, really humid around here. So, Anyway, so Sumter County swap meet, your last chance to ditch something or pick up something. You never know. It might be kind of cool. Uh, also this weekend is the Reeves Cars and Coffee over at Reeves Import Motor Cars in Tampa and the Garage One Cars and Coffee. I think they're both the first Saturday of the month. So probably yours truly will be hanging out there and uh, walking around. Reeves is one of my favorite ones because they got exquisite beignets and great coffee and some really cool foreign cars. Garage One, Gene over there. He sells the uh, Speed Wax, which works real good on your car. As a matter of fact, I actually put that on my guitar today. I had a little extra time, so while I was tinkering, playing my six-string, I figured, you know what, I think I want to, I got this real pretty black Stratocaster, and that's uh, kind of a cool old vintage guitar, and I thought, you know what, it just needs a little extra shine and buff. And so I put some Speed Wax on my guitar. So not only is it good for cars, it's good for guitars as well. So how about that? Anyway... Uh, oh, yeah, and Gene has coffee and donuts. So if a car show 
or cars and coffee has beignets and coffee and donuts and coffee, sign me up for that one. So anyway, again, happy Memorial Day to all our veterans, and please keep them in your prayers, the ones that are no longer here with us, and pray for the ones that are out there fighting for us right now, and we need to bring them all home. Of course, you know, sometimes I just want to say, mm, nuke them all, let God sort them out type deal, but hey, well, uh, that's another dis- topic for another discussion. Anyway, I think what we're going to do is, because I want to get our guests on here in a short, short, so let's go ahead and fire up the stereo, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to go right to the second song. What's the second song that we have on the uh, turntable there? Hey, pretty good. We got Beach Boys. Beach Boys. Okay. Well, hey, Vaughn, how you doing tonight? You'll like the guy that's coming on because he used to work for Chrysler Corporation back in the day, but... Okay, okay. You know, and I know you're a Mopar guy, but we'll have to change that and put you in a real car, get you a Ford. But anyway, so let's play a little Beach Boys. Let's go ahead and call our guests. And I want to have a really lengthy discussion because this gentleman is really, really in the know. He's in Michigan. He knows what's going on. He worked for the big three. So, hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Green Cars. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. As long as courage, sacrifice, and love of freedom remains in the hearts of man. You'll see 42 internationally famous stars, including Richard Burton. At the bottom of the channel. He jumped clean, but his parachute didn't open. Paul Anka, Henry Fonda. You're the assistant division commander. And that's why I'm supposed to go ashore in the first wave. Look, you're important to this operation. We, we can't have you knocked off on the first day. But that's not the real reason. Isn't it because my father was president of the United States? Mel Ferrer, Richard Todd, Red Buttons, Rod Steiger, Fabian. Are you kidding? I haven't slept since we got here. Tommy Sands, Irina Demick, Leo Gann, Richard Beamer, Robert Wagner, Stuart Whitman, Kurt Jurgens. Er weigert sich die Panzerreserve ohne Genehmigung des Führers freizugeben. Wir werden den Krieg verlieren, weil unser glorreicher Führer eine Schlaftablette genommen hat. Der Führer darf nicht geweckt werden. Jeffrey Hunter, Robert Ryan. Tamarack Lee straddles the only road the Germans can use to drive into our northern flank. But it has to be taken, and it has to be held. Peter Lawford. There's no time for any sub stuff about 
England home and beauty. They've earned the final victory. Let's give it to them. Robert Mitchum. I don't have to tell you the story, you all know it. Only two kinds of people are going to stay on this beach. Those that are already dead and those that are going to die. Now get off the butts. You guys are the fight in John Wayne. Forget everything I've said, General. I got the best battalion in this division and they're ready. In size, in scope, in suspense, in dramatic intensity, the longest day is unparalleled in screen history. The day that changed the world. Hi, this is Etzel Ford with the Ford Motor Company, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Enjoy the show. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman is not only... A car guy extraordinaire. He's an author. He's a car collector. And he also was a top executive for the Big Three. And his last great job was the vice chairman of General Motors. I'm delighted to welcome back to Nostalgic Radio Cars, Bob Lutz. Bob, how are you? Fine, thanks. And you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Now, the last time we met was actually uh, in Scottsdale. You were one of the guest speakers at the McKeel Haggerty uh, seminar there. And you talked a little bit about electric cars and that is something that's been on everybody's mind in fact i think somewhere there was a quote somewhere around 2007 2008 you said the electrification of the automobile is inevitable so could you elaborate on that a little bit well it's it's inevitable because uh, the basic technology of electric vehicles is very good Uh, we're not going to talk about any individual brands but the technology is good the performance is brilliant we're seeing 300 miles on a charge. You know, we're, we're now uh, talking about the next generation batteries, which are uh, lithium polymer solid-state batteries with twice the energy density so that you can get 600 miles per charge. You know, at that point, who needs an internal combustion engine? I mean, electric vehicles are, are much simpler. They have far fewer moving parts. The brakes last forever because you've got regenerated braking. There's no, there's no automatic transmission, which contains thousands of little, tiny little parts, as does an internal combustion engine. So uh, the only remaining obstacle is the price of manufacturing battery packs. And I think, you know, that's going to get solved. And when a 600-mile electric car with zero to 60 times of the three and a half seconds and that'll, you know, take you 600 miles on a single charge, which is more than anybody drives in a day, uh, then you have to ask yourself, why are we still driving internal combustion cars? I mean, we love them. I love them. I, I don't own an electric car, but you, you, you just have to see the handwriting on the wall. They are coming. And what we have today are, are just equivalent to early horseless carriages, you know, when the guy used to, with, in the case of some of these things, it's almost necessary for a guy with a red flag to walk out ahead of it to warn people, which was, you remember, early days of horseless carriages. Many cities had ordinances that required a flagman to go in front of the vehicle. I mean, we're at that stage of electrification. In another 20 years, uh, the remaining problem, which is battery cost, will be solved. What about battery disposal? Oh, that's uh, a lithium-ion battery is probably 95% recyclable. Is it? And uh, lithium is not a dangerous, it's not like lead-acid batteries where you try to keep the lead out of the ground and out of the water and out of landfills. By the way, lead-acid batteries in the United States are about 97% recycled. It's the most highly recycled product in the United States. So this old thing about, you know, landfills full of lead-acid batteries, it's simply not true. Uh, But if somebody does throw a lithium-ion battery into the landfill, it's harmless. Um, With the possible exception of um, Tesla, Tesla uses a lithium-ion compound, which also contains cobalt, and uh, that gives them a slightly higher energy density, uh, but the cobalt is 
somewhat volatile in in the case of accidents, and cobalt would be a would be a problem in landfills. Is cobalt a something that's mined? Yeah. Okay. Is it, it's, it's on it's on the uh, table of elements. I forget which number. Okay. Let me ask you this now. Let's go back to electric cars. I and I know that you're somewhat of a proponent. Were you involved? Were you Involved with General Motors back when they came out, what was it called, the EV back in the 90s or something no, like that? No, that was before my time. That was before your time. Okay, but you yeah, were... and that was, you know, that was, I would call that, that car was a science project. Okay. And the batteries were handmade, they were uh, uh, nickel metal hydride, which was the technology before lithium ion. Uh, the car was ultra lightweight, you know, made out of lightweight composites as you can t- remember it was highly aerodynamic. It was only a two-seater, and it, it was not a great car. Although the fanatics loved it, but electric car fanatics—you know—the the fanatical breed—they uh, to them, electric cars are almost like a religion. I mean, it's <laughs> the planet is doomed unless we all start driving electric cars. Well, now, I'm, 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 I'm not like that. I, you know, I think both sides, both forms of propulsion can coexist. Uh, internal combustion cars today are so cheap, uh, can be built so efficiently. They're so reliable. They're so clean. I mean, you put one old car, like a 1968 Oldsmobile, on the road, that will pollute as much as 1,000 2018 cars. So. Cars today are incredibly clean. They don't. In in many of the dirtier cities, uh, the automobile driving through the ambient air is an air purification device. Well, now elaborate on that a little bit. Now tell me how that works. Well, you've got so much of the nasties scrubbed out of the exhaust. Right. That a lot of times in in polluted environments like Los Angeles on a bad day. What goes into the air intake is dirtier than what comes out the exhaust pipe. Oh, okay. I get it. You're talking about from a recycle standpoint, right? The air intake, and it gets goes through the process. It gets cycled. It goes through the catalytic converters and all the other stuff and the right. oxygen sensors. Exactly. Okay, gotcha. Let me ask you this. Now, uh, I would it be a fair statement to say that, and you just touched on it, that that, that internal combustion engines can coexist. Do you think that there will be ever a time when we will just, and I think you touched on this when we were out there at that seminar, that, and that was probably one of the questions that I asked because I stood up in the back of the room there and asked, will the internal combustion engine cease to exist as we know it? And then you went on to comment, and I'll let you do that in a second, and then you segued into what's going to happen into major cities with electric cars. So go ahead and talk about that a bit. Well, it wasn't so much electric as it is autonomous. Autonomous, that was it, okay. Yeah, and autonomous cars, uh, they don't care. They can be electric or they can be, everybody assumes they're going to be electric, but the two big movements today are the drive for vehicle autonomy and the drive towards electrification. And people always lump them together and they say, oh, it's all going to be electric and they're all going to be autonomous. No, these are two separate movements. Autonomy is uh, making the car capable of driving itself through a combination of highly detailed digital maps embedded in the car so that the car is constantly comparing its internal digital map to where the GPS tells it it is. And that's down to four inches, so it's ultra precise. And plus, it's going to have uh, artificial eyes and ears, what we call sensors, uh, but it, it actually an autonomous vehicle today, uh, the Cadillac CT6 does it, and it's internal combustion. Uh, Cadillac CT6 can travel any federal freeway uh, for unlimited amounts of time without the driver ever touching the wheel. And that is thanks to not only uh, high-quality sensors, but mainly thanks to a super precise embedded map. Uh, And if there were no traffic on the road, the Cadillac could go from Detroit to Chicago with no sensors at all, just relying on the digital map. That's how precise it is. At any rate, urban areas are getting more and more crowded. 
there's accidents on the freeway around every major city daily, which tie up traffic and cause, you know, hundreds of thousands of people to lose hours and hours of productive or family time. And the individually driven automobile simply is at the point where it can no longer carry the load. So the answer is a ring around the cities with parking spaces, parking garages. And you will drive your your own vehicle, autonomous, gas, electric, self-driven, doesn't matter. You drive it to the periphery, park it, and you'll find um, an autonomous module waiting for you. You get into that auto, autonomous module. Tell it, tell you, tell it where, where it wants you, where you want it to take you. Uh, swipe your credit card. Get out. The autonomous module within minutes picks up the next person, moves him or her around. And those autonomous vehicles are in motion all day long. They never park. They don't use up parking garages. Uh, there, there's no congestion. They, they're never. You know, they don't text. They don't sleep. They're not distracted in any way. They don't drink. Hmm. Uh, and the urban transportation problem, like in the L.A. basin or Chicago, New York, you name it, uh, also all the European cities, most of whom have sort of uh, car-free zones down in the, in the downtown center anyway, it's all going to go autonomous modules. Now, you know, especially if you want the module to run all day long and say get 600 miles, um, in the early days you're probably better off using an internal combustion engine because you'll get far more range than you will with a battery-powered one. Well, let me ask, so It's going to come to the urban areas first, and then gradually that ring of mandatory autonomous, uh, autonomous cars is going to expand. Now, let's say you have an autonomous car at home, and it's the size of a minivan. Um, It can be autonomous or not, or electric or not, but you're not going to be allowed to take that into the city because the deal with the city is it's not whether it's electric or gasoline-powered. It's is it one of the authorized urban autonomous modules or not. And as I say, private cars will be banned. Now, when in, in the foreseeable future, how soon could this happen? I think, uh, you know, I usually say 15 years, but it could be as, as it could be as short as 10. That's pretty amazing. That is going to be one heck of a transition for people, for society, and uh, the whole ball of wax, really, if you think it, about it. It's sad, it's sad for people who like to drive yeah. heavy traffic, stop-and-go traffic, and I have to ask you, how much fun is that? None. And uh, people get bored, so they start to text, and then they have accidents. Whereas in the autonomous modules will be moving all the time. They won't be moving at 70 miles an hour. If the traffic is dense, they may slow down to 45. But the flow is going to be uniform, constant, without interruption. And people in the big cities are going to save one to two hours a day. And that's just going to be, you know, marvelous. This is time that that the technological advances are giving back and once they're in their autonomous module they can have a drink they can read they can text they can they can watch a movie I mean, they can do whatever they want i mean it, it in a way it, it takes away something but it, it frankly it gives back even more all right so let me let's 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 talk about this for a second okay so now what happens to, uh, let's say, like you, have, you might have, like Orlando, Florida has light rail. They have buses. Uh, San Francisco has uh, streetcars. So all this is going to kind of like coexist, or is something going to get uh, eliminated? And are these modules going to be, like you said, like little cubicles, little modules? In fact, it's funny because the other day I was watching on uh, an old movie uh, – Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger, oh, yeah. and they have something similar to that. Or like if you go back to Blade Runner, you know, just a lot of that futuristic uh, um, Sid Mead style kind of, uh, you know, tra- uh, forms of transportation, little modules, like you said. I mean, yeah, so. Well, let me tell you, the autonomous modules won't look like the Johnny Caps in <laughs> with stupid little uh, Mortimer Snurd type driver. Okay. 
whipped out by the governor. <laughs> he made a driver car out of an autonomous one in about 10 seconds. <laughs> no, it's not going to be like that. They're going to be like streamlined telephone booths laid on their end. Oh, okay. Interesting, interesting. And they're all going to be normed. You know, they're all going to look the same. And that kind of does away with brands. And there'll be brands okay, but they'll be branded Uber and Lyft and Maven and, you know, whatever other. Uh, uh, in fact, one of the reasons General Motors is putting so much cash aside is General Motors realizes that in the foreseeable future, 15 to 25 years, the automobile business, as we all grew up in it, know it and love it, is going to cease to exist because the manufacturers will be manufacturing modules, which will be purchased 100 to 200,000 at a time by the big fleets, and they'll, they'll be built to a bidding price and a specification. And as long as you meet the spec, the low bidder takes it. And uh, so that means basically the end of profitability for the automobile business. And it's just like cell phones. Nobody makes money manufacturing cell phones. All of the, valuable, the value is captured by the ATTs, Verizon, Sprints, and, and what have you, the service providers. And it'll be the same in cars. The, the value will be captured in providing the transportation. And uh, the smart companies are preparing that. Now, they won't tell you that in public because they want to reassure everybody, no, no, don't don't listen to that stuff. It's going to be pretty much the same as it's always been. Yeah, you'll be able to buy an autonomous car, but hey, don't worry about it. But, you know, the companies definitely, uh, the smart ones, are definitely planning the future like that. Long-range future, it doesn't mean they have to start, you know, changing next year, but they better be prepared. Because it's going to take a huge pile of cash to own those fleets. All right, so where does that put guys like me and you yourself, because you're a vintage car guy, collector. So what happens to us if we live, let's say, in the rural areas? I mean, is the handwriting on the wall right now that... The... No, I, I foresee 50 years from now, I foresee 4th of July parades where historic American cars uh, move down the main street of the town on electric platforms so Ooh. you'll see your Duesenberg and your Cadillac 16 but they they won't be moving under their own power so are you saying they're going to be riding on a platform or they're going to be converted to electric power no they'll be riding on a platform oh that's sad after, afterwards you put them on a trailer and take them home Oh, that's just well. Now I know you're pretty much in the know, and you know what's going on up there in Detroit. So is this something that like should those of us that have old cars should we just plan on enjoying them for five or ten more years and then plan on getting rid of them? Of course, it, I, I wouldn't get rid of them because there will be automotive country clubs. Okay, and the people who can afford it uh, can store their old cars at one of the automotive country clubs, and they're springing up all over the country. Well, this is true, yeah, like Monticello up in New York, and I think there's yeah. more. Okay. So you'll be able to enjoy your cars. You just can't enjoy them on public highways. Oh, that's depressing. That's just, that's just, wow. Yeah, but, you know, it, it's going <laughs> to reach the rural areas last. Right. The big, the big cities are going to be first, then the suburban belt, and then... At some in some distant future, the rest of the country, and, and I don't know how old you are, but I'm, I'm not going to be around to see that. Well, I'm 61, so but uh, and I'm not that far behind you, and I'm you know, and I'm thinking, hmm. All right, let me ask you this: I'm also an independent car dealer. So yeah. what happens in 20 years from now? What kind of car, what am I going to buy and sell? I mean, how am I going to compete with the big? I have a tough time right now as it is competing with franchise car dealers because I don't, I can't uh, offer CPOs and all the other warranties and programs. And a lot of the independent dealers, unless you're doing buy here, pay here, where do we go in the future? What's the future hold for uh, independent car dealers? Um, it's sadly, I see it as a future similar to the um, the, the much valued and very successful uh, horse dealers before the automobile was invented. You know, guys had large oh, yeah? of horses. They took 
ones they fixed up and resold as used horses, and the the, the, the nice ones they call the customer and say, "Hey, have huh. I got a, have I got a horse for you? You this is what you've been looking for." And and what happened to the horse dealers? They're gone. That's I mean, true. Okay, the, the horse business still exists, but your your neighborhood horse trader is gone. And that's what's going to happen to dealerships. Wow. I never thought I'd see that, but I, I kind of, I, like you said, I mean, if you look back in history, the handwriting's on the wall. Yeah, it is. And let's face it, every day when I'm in traffic, it's brought home to me how imperfect human drivers are. And <laughs> someday kids will say to their granddad, granddad, is it true that people used to hold a steering wheel and they'd be on a two-lane road? And they'd cross like three or four feet from each other in opposing directions, with each of them doing 65 miles an hour. And granddad say, yep, that's what we done, all right. <laughs> and the kids will say, but didn't they run into each other? Well, sometimes they did. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so let's... You know, let's face it. You probably have good reaction times because you like to drive. Yes. If, if you're at a traffic light and you're number eight back, chances are you're not going to get through that light because it takes every one of those people in front of you three to four seconds to put down their phone and finally, oh, the light's green, and then they accelerate at a slow pace. Whereas if you're going to have a pod, or a pod of, say, ten autonomous vehicles, and they probably won't have red lights because why bother? They'll, there'll be some sort of embedded signal in the roadway. But when that signal goes go, that whole pod of 10 to 15 autonomous vehicles waiting in line is all going to move at the same time. And they're going to get through that light or through that stop or through that uh, you know stop signal. They're going to get through that in about a quarter of a time that it takes the human drivers. Do you think this is going to take place in Europe before it hits the United States? It uh, could in the big cities. Okay. Because, uh, as I say, cities like Rome and London and Paris already have restrictions on the use of private private vehicles in the downtown area. Where they uh, Rome, Rome and London, you know, you have a congestion charge. I think in London, if you for one day, it was, a few years ago, it was seventy-five pounds. That's like a hundred and twenty bucks. Uh, for a permit to drive your uh, privately owned car in the city for one day. And I think it's even higher now. It's probably 100 pounds now. And th that's just the first stage. Is this a form of socialism? I don't think so. I don't think so because I think it's just solving the world's congestion problem. The private automobile is big, heavy, uh, from a space utilization standpoint, not particularly well designed. And uh, the human driver is just not six sigma. And what you need is something that reacts fast, uh, reacts reliably, always reacts the same way, uh, and is never impaired, never distracted, never drunk, and so forth. Uh, and uh, humans can't claim that. And then you ask, well, what happens to, to airplanes? Well, the same thing's going to happen. Well, now it's interesting you brought that up, too. Yeah, because I know you're a pilot. You fly fixed-wing and helicopters. So where's the future of aviation with all this? Well, I think it's autonomous. No question about it. Uh, because, again, uh, today's pilot of an airliner, he programs the computer he punches in the altitude when he gets the clearance, rolls down the runway, re manually retracts the landing gear and the flaps, puts it on the climb schedule, and then he punches the autopilot button. And out of a 10-hour flight, he may fl the pilot and co-pilot may fly the first five minutes and the last five minutes. And the rest of the time, they just sit there supervising. And that first five minutes and last five minutes can easily be re can easily be replaced with autonomous. And the U.S. Navy is landing jet aircraft on aircraft carriers, pilotless 
pilotless aircraft. So, all right. So, but currently, if you look at the situation, you talk about, uh, and there's been a number of mishaps with autonomous cars and stuff. And you almost have to attribute that to driver error, I would think, to, it seems to me. But th- this transition that we're going through, okay, this is just an observation. What's happening is people are getting conditioned to – you see this with technology. Everybody's relying on technology, and nobody's doing anything. They're just sitting there like basically a bump on a log, and they don't yeah. realize how serious this stuff is. I mean you talk about flying. You talk about – Automobiles. You talk about trains, any form of transportation. I mean, all this stuff. But what's happened with this automation, people are tending to rely on it too much. That kind of scares me a little bit, too. What's your take on that? Well, it may be scary, but it's inevitable. And, okay. yes, we have had the odd. Uh, and, you know, to be perfectly honest, I don't think Uber's um, autonomous vehicle technology is on a par with that of General Motors or Google or Waymo, or those three are without question the leaders in vehicle autonomy, and they're they're very careful with what they put out there. Now GM is going to launch a fleet of think of 400 autonomous Chevy Bolts with no instrument panel, no steering wheel, no backup driver, Ooh. and that is programmed for San Francisco in 2019. And when GM says they'll do it in 2019, they will do it in 2019 because GM is very off, very uh, unlike some companies we know. General Motors <laughs> tends to underpromise and overdeliver. No so <laughs> it's, it's definitely on its way. And uh, the the Uber running over the the woman who was pushing her bicycle across the street. You know, the, the jury's out on exactly what happened, but that got a lot of publicity. On that same day and every day of the year, 25 pedestrians in the United States were killed by conventional automobiles, and nobody talks about that. Let me uh, digress here. we got about um, seven or eight minutes. A couple things I want to ask you. And uh, for one, I'm a huge Ford guy. I'm not a big fan of the new guy that's running the company. I kind of like Mark Fields. I had I, I tried to get him on the show. Uh, Mulally, I think, kind of did some good things for Ford, you know, because he was an aircraft guy. He brought some quality to Ford. Where I take issue is, is now recently Ford's decided to discontinue a number of their cars. Now, before you comment on that, let me just say, when General Motors got rid of Pontiac and Oldsmobile and Chrysler got rid of Plymouth and Mer- Ford got rid of Mercury— my issue with, with the big three being an independent car dealer, and I, my background, quite frankly, is an auto salvage business. Okay, so I'm a wrecking yard guy. So I had to deal with all the parts and all the nonsense that was going on in there. And even when the Japanese were doing stuff in the 80s and 90s, you know, we had to have production numbers, serial numbers, date codes, you know, because there was running changes throughout the production year. So this used to drive us up a wall. However, where I'm going with this is it seemed to me that General Motors had car – had production overlaps in other words if 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 pontiac is the wide track then pontiac should make wide track cars and make a couple cool cars that are unique to pontiac's pontiac specific osmobile should have done the same to preserve to preserve the brand in my opinion mercury should have preserved theirs that was kind of like the in-between between ford and a and the lincoln continental so give me your take and i don't know if you can do this in this short amount of time as to what what you think that whether that was a good idea, a bad idea, and then Ford's deal route discontinuing their cars and just wanted to do SUVs and trucks. Well, I, I think uh, you know, with the advent of crossovers, especially small crossovers like the Ford Escape, and they're going to do one that's even smaller, that's going to be like the Chevy Trax and the Buick Envoy uh, or Buick Encore. Uh, they make a lot of sense. They're they're passenger car like. They're like a passenger car to drive. They have. They have the same fuel economy as a passenger car. Uh, they have good road manners. They're fun to drive. Um, so, and, and they have a lot more space. So, the small crossover just makes all the all the sense in the world. And uh, and the American producers are very very good at that. And the and the cro- American crossovers are are accepted much much better than American passenger cars, especially on the two coasts. So. That was a smart move by Ford. I, I think at some point 
General Motors will probably follow. Like, you know, General Motors has already sort of said they're not going to do another Impala. They they may or may not do another Malibu. They may or may not do another cruise. Um, I think right now they're hoping to pick up some of the business that Ford is giving up, but we'll see. I, I think the, the, the small crossover is just a more rational form of the traditional passenger car, and it's not unlike what we used to call a station wagon, with, with doing about the same duty with a, with a rear hatch, and in many cases three rows of seats. So I'm, I'm not too worried about that. Uh, the brands, yes, General Motors went through a period in the 70s where the cars were identical, whether it was a, a Chevy, Pontiac, Buick, Olds, or Cadillac, same architecture, same V6 engine, even the body panels in many cases were the same. So how, and they destroyed the traditional General Motors hierarchy where Chevys were small, Pontiacs were bigger, Oldsmobile were known for innovation, you know, together with Cadillac, first vehicle to have an automatic transmission and so forth. And then you had Buick with an inline six-cylinder overhead valve engine, which was kind of special back in those days. And then you had Cadillac, which was for relatively few people. And somehow, the, I think the bean counters destroyed that hierarchy because they said, ah, oh, people can't tell the difference anyway. And you know, people did people did catch on to it. And the, the brand separation was destroyed. And Ford, for a while, was making Fords and Mercuries and even Lincolns, like uh, the previous generation Fusion, uh, the Mercury version, and the Lincoln MKZ were all the same car except for taillights and grill. But you can't fool the public like that. And uh, I think we, we destroyed the brand. Um, Oldsmobile had to die. We, we just had one too many. Pontiac was in the process. Saturn is uh, $7 billion spent, never should have been done. All it ever did was compete with Chevrolet, and it was totally redundant. It was it was correct to kill it. Um, Pontiac was on its way back. You know, we did the Pontiac Solstice. Uh, we did the G8, which was a, a phenomenal car. And the next G6 was going to be rear-wheel drive, and it was going to be kind of like a BMW 3 Series. And Pontiac was on its way to regaining respectability. But during Chapter 11, the Fed said, well, is the Pontiac brand making any money? No, not currently. It's not. Okay, cut it. They would have cut Buick, too, except except for the business in China. Okay, well, having said that, you touched on bean counters, okay? So, yeah. And you made a comment about this once before. I think you openly said this a couple times. You know, when bean counters get in there and run a car business— those of us that are car guys, we look at this and we're thinking, well, wait a minute, all they know is about dollars and cents. They don't understand marketing. They don't understand the public. They don't understand no, they the don't. They're, they all come from Wharton School of Finance or Amos Tuck University or Harvard B School. They can read spreadsheets a mile a minute. They can run the numbers. They can they can uh, uh, do an analysis of a balance sheet, et cetera, et cetera. You and I, we, we couldn't live long enough to be as good. And to them... If it can't be measured, it doesn't exist. So you say, well, beauty. Uh, can you define beauty? No, I can't, but I know it when I see it. Not good enough, doesn't count. Brand differentiation. Uh, can you prove to me that that works? Well, no, I can't prove it, but I, I know you have to have it. No, no, that's not good enough. It costs you know tens of millions of dollars to differentiate the brand. And if you can't demonstrate that you'll get more volume, we're not going to do it. So... Um, if you've got a Lee Iacocca in charge, he can keep the bean counters under control. I think Mulally kept the bean counters under control. I know I kept the bean counters under control. But most companies, the senior executives, they don't care whether they're running a large shoe company or a refrigerator or washing machine. Co- they don't even talk about cars. They talk about units. So they basically turned it into just like you said a commodity. It's just a, it's just a, a like you said a unit, a product. It's no different than a cell phone. It's no different than a, than a pencil and paper. You know, it's just right. it means. So th- the whole thing just kind of like boggles my mind because you know here we are, and like you said, it's kind of like a this this nightmare about to approach us, particularly us car guys. It's like okay, we want to cherish and relish the next three to five to 
maybe 10 years, if we're lucky, of the automobile industry as we kind of know it and the collective car world. And then beyond that, it's just going to turn into a, a cube on four wheels and tires, if yeah. that. And uh, yeah, But I think we have more than 10 years. I mean, it'll start in some cities. Some cities will be, you know, no private cars, but out in the suburbs and on the open road and the freeways and so forth. Well, uh, you know, how old you say, 51? 61. Yeah, well, I think by the time you're 70, that may be far enough along that you'll say, I'm glad I lived when I did, which is what I tell myself every day. <laughs> and I'm I'm 86, and I mean, you're nowhere close to me. I'm old enough to almost old enough to be your grandfather. Well, I'll tell you what, you're old enough to be my dad anyway. But uh, Bob, I want to thank you a whole bunch for coming on the show this evening. It was really really cool, and I'd love to have you on again sometime. Sure, because just, just you know, I'm retired. I have the time, and I don't have to watch what I say so much anymore because. I can make a controversial comment without being called into the boss's office the next morning. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I know you're an extremely conservative kind of guy. Same here. I would love to have you on the show again. We talk a little bit about, uh, oh, the political climate. The econ- I wanted to talk about the economy a little bit. So sure. I'd definitely like to have you on again sometime in the near future. We can talk a little bit about that, how it ties into the automobile industry, the economy, fuel you know, uh, it's focused a little bit more on the internal combustion engine and the car thing and what sure. kind of what's going on right now. That would be great. Yep. Absolutely. All right. All, all, all of those are my, among my favorite topics. Super. Well, I want to thank my – Bob, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show this evening. I want to thank my very special guest, Bob Lutz, former chairman of General Motors and Vice top executive with the big three. Bob? Vice hey, chairman. Vice chairman. Okay. Yep. Well, hey, Semper Fi. Okay, Happy Memorial too. Day because I know you were a Marine at one yes, point in time. Sir. And uh, say hi to Amy. And again, thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks. It was uh, great, great being on. Thanks a lot. Super. Hey, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget, check it out here every Tuesday night on the Tantalk Radio Network between 7 and 8 p.m. for some of the most legendary and fascinating names in motorsports and the automobile industry. Don't forget to share all the good stuff on our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And, hey, we just uh, hooked up our buddy Boneyard Bob on Facebook. So go check out Boneyard Bob. That's our uh, personal social media on Facebook. And, hey, there's a lot of car shows coming up. Don't forget Swap Meet this weekend, Cars and Coffee this weekend, Reason Port Motor Cars, and Garage One. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. FM 106.1 WDCF Dade City, Tampa Bay WZHR Zephyr Hills FM 104.3 Listen